Hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast, episode 322. Uh, joining this week, uh, our good friend, my good friend from a very long time ago, who I haven't talked to in a long time. He is the producer, sound designer, and composer of the sci-fi audio drama Windfall uh, and its second season, which we're doing some funding for right now. You can go to roguedialogue.com to check out more about that. He's joining us this week to talk about podcast production, uh, about producing a narrative podcast and working with other folks creatively, how COVID's changed that, and what they plan on doing going forward and how you can support the show so Season 2 uh, can get out on schedule. Uh, all that this week, folks, and so much more, including uh, updates on the COVID vaccine, updates on Jeopardy, uh, OnlyFans, Major League Baseball, uh, all of that, folks, history lessons, and so much more, as always. We are happy to have you here for another episode of the Unicast. It's on. It's on. It's, probably, it's probably on. I mean, what, do you, what do you lose? Ten some, seconds in, if you got to start some, over, what some, do you lose? Some sound quality, I suppose. Uh, welcome back to the show, folks. It's the Uticast, episode 322. Uh, joining, this, joining us this week, someone from the podcasting world, a blast from the past, our good friend Adam Raymunda. He is the sound designer, producer, and composer of... Uh, of the sci-fi audio drama podcast Windfall, which is looking for their second season. Uh, you can go to their Indiegogo to check out all the information about that. Or you can go to roguedialogue.com to check out his like actual professional podcast company mm. where he's doing all sorts of stuff. So great time talking to him. Uh, we did briefly talk about uh, playing in bands and such when we were younger. I am not surprised. Not surprised. Mm -hmm. Not as much as you would think, though. We spent a lot of time talking about like podcasting stuff. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's he's you know doing something. But remember when sometimes is fun, but like people are still doing stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, it was interesting though because this is you know a creative like a narrative podcast, and one of the things I was talking about that I kind of forget sometimes because you know we've been doing this for a long time, and for me when people ask, I'm always like, oh yeah, I used to listen to the Bill Simmons podcast and Mark Marin and these like long form interview podcasts. A lot of folks' first semblance of podcasts was the serial podcast, not mm. like interview style podcasts. Mm. So I never think to myself of like narrative podcasts as much as like. I don't know why. I always sort of forget that they exist out there in the world. Mm. Is that bad for me? Because I, I don't think that's bad. <laughs> Is it if you just like what you like and listen to? I wouldn't flog yourself about what it says about you as a person. It's not that I don't like narrative, mind you. I love narrative. I just feel like my touch I just feel point. Like I can read. <laughs> I feel like my touch point. My touch points have always been, like, interview podcasts, I guess. But I, I guess I really did sort of forget how important the serial podcast was. Because he brought it up. I was like, yeah, it was, like, the biggest podcast of all time, probably. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. the first mainstream podcast. I think well, it helped cross over for... Because a lot of people could care less about an interview. A mm -hmm. lot of people could care less about what some, like, washed-up ex-athlete or some, like... <laughs> Some fading actor has to say about, sure. like, oh, okay, and in 86 we did this. That's not, that doesn't have as broad of an appeal as, like, something where it's like, yo, 
we're going to artfully craft, design, and deliver this story to you yeah. folks. And it's going to be similar to the documentaries you like, the books you read, the TV shows you like. Mm. But we're going to put that on this format. It's just got a broader crossover appeal. I can't imagine what I would want to do if I was doing, like, a narrative podcast. I feel like it would just be a history podcast, which isn't a narrative. Then it's just me doing, like, the... They're like, let me tell you the story about the Sandinistas. That's not really the same thing. Is like, that not this podcast? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess it is. I guess that's true as well. Uh, but yeah, great conversation with uh, with Adam Ramunda, a good friend of ours going all the way back. And mm-hmm. it was nice to talk to him. Uh, I'm always happy to see somebody flourishing in the podcast world. That's all mm-hmm. I'm saying out there. Uh, all right. Also this week, God, I'm like so tired. I've been staying up like super late in the last few days, mm. and uh, I've noticed that when I stay up late now, I don't sleep late. I don't like, oh, I'm going to stay awake till like 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, and then sleep in till 10, 11. Mm-hmm. I still wake up around the same time, so I'm just tired. Mm. <laughs> I feel like when I was a young man, that was like, if I stayed up till 3, it's like, oh, I'm going to pay for this one tomorrow. Now it's like, no, I still got to get up really early. <laughs> I don't have a choice. I mean, sure you do. Huh? You have a choice. You don't. I, you, you don't get up because you can't. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I'm just saying. I. I don't know. I used to be able to like stay asleep until like late, late in the day, and I've kind of lost it. I think. Mm. I think my body is just like, nah. You're. You can do nothing if you'd like, but you're awake now. I think you got to stay up even later. I think that's the trick. You're just not tired enough. In my young- give yourself a nice. Give yourself a nice four a.m. A nice four thirty a.m. You have no problem sleeping until nine. Uh, I think if I what I would need to do is just stay up all the way, like 24 hours, right, and restart the sleep cycle. Yeah, and you'd sleep for a week. And you sleep, <laughs> <laughs> right? Just stay, stay asleep, or stay, yeah, stay awake until the time you'd normally go to bed. Then go to bed at a normal time the next day. That's something that I don't think I have at all anymore. Is the all nighter? I don't think there's any no, way. No, I'm it's the not. worst. I just like because you can always find it, even literally when when you're at that level. I remember uh, specifically a long Boilermaker weekend we had where we had to be back at the very 1 a.m. And we had like a busy night the night before uh, there. And even 90 minutes is better than nothing. Mm. Than just going all the way through and starting, you know, making coffee at 5 a.m. And being like, I'm going to send it. That's a, that's a young man's game for sure. I definitely noticed it when I was finishing up my master's program. It was like um, in an era when I was writing papers when I was a younger man. I'd be like, I'm staying awake all night until this paper is finished. I don't care what time this paper is finished. I'll stay awake till 5 in the morning if I have to. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm just like, I'm going to go to sleep now. And then <laughs> and then just wake up because my brain will be working correctly. Because if I stay awake till 4 or 5 in the morning, my brain will stop working. And I won't get any good work done anyway. Right. It'll just be scattershot nonsense. Sure, yeah. we start recording podcasts at like 4 in the morning. That'll be interesting. Uh, all right. So yeah, that's uh, that's where it is. Let's bust into some of the news of the week. And uh, just a quick hope everyone's doing okay for all of my uh, Rhode Island, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, Brooklyn people who've been getting hit with this tropical depression, Henry, and getting flooded over the last couple days. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of flood watches across the Northeast for folks out there, so if you're in a place where you're getting affected by that, you know, please be safe. Brooklyn, New York got 10 inches of rain between Saturday and Monday afternoon. I mean, even around here, Whitesboro's had, like, major flooding issues. I've been going down in the basement to check if we've been getting flooded. Spoiler alert, we have not. No, we don't. That's not how it works here. <laughs> so it's well, I mean, we're just not in a zone where that's like a thing. Well, I mean, I was when I was living on Valentine, we used to get flooded, but we were on that hill. I never understood why we got flooded on that basement all the time. Yeah, 
we were. I guess it was just the way that basement lined up. But well, that could also that could also be about what the with the drainage and the things like that were like. Yeah. to and the way that, that was all situated too. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's true. Uh, boy, between though the heat and the rain, it's been very uncomfortable. <laughs> it's you know it's it's the old chestnut that really it's not the heat it's the humidity but like it's true for a reason because every day I'll catch myself you'll be like ah it's hot it's a hot day out here and I'm like 78 degrees. But then, like, you start thinking about it, you're like, but wait, I am pouring sweat out of my body, even though it's 78 degrees. What's going on here? I think that I have a higher tolerance for heat than some people, because I had a friend who was over here yesterday, and they were sweating profusely, and I was like, are you okay? And they're like, it's hot in here. I'm like, is it? It is in here, yeah. Really? I feel like I'm it's, not... I mean, it's hotter in here than it is outside. Well, 10,000%. Maybe I just don't have, like, some huge... No, I just I don't feel like I'm not like sweating. I'm not dying right now. I well, wasn't no, I'm not. Either. I'm not dying right now. Yeah, either. I, I mean, was. Blown I'm, away I'm just saying it's hotter. It, it's hotter in here than it is outside yeah. generally. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, yeah, that's fair. I just did. I just didn't notice it. I feel like it. I looked down at the watch yesterday and it was telling me it was like 84 degrees. But that doesn't seem right. <laughs> it doesn't seem right to me. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't bother me as bad as I've noticed it with some other people. My mom's struggling with it too. Uh, all right, let's get into some news this week. Um... So, it was announced this morning, President Joe Biden came out today, urged more Americans to get the vaccination uh, after the FDA granted full vaccine approval to the Pfizer and uh, BioTech COVID-19 vaccines. So, as of this morning, uh, full FDA approval for the Pfizer COVID vaccine. Uh, I read a really interesting article on The Athletic about, uh, or not The Athletic, that wouldn't make any sense, on The Atlantic about uh, some of the reasons that people are, like, some of the people who are still vaccine hesitant mm. this might actually push some people who were not interested in getting the vaccine into taking it even if it you know even if it's only 10 percent, 5 percent more people mm. uh but i think if you listen closely you can hear the Damn sound gold posts of goalposts being moved being moved, being moved rapidly rapidly <laughs> goalposts being carried to the next point next part but yeah well of course they would say that well, look, I, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad you know, it's I'm glad that the FDA went through their full process and didn't like change the process just because of what's going on. Like, it makes me feel more realistic that they actually went through their whole process. Right. right? You know what I mean, like if they had pushed through and didn't do everything in the normal speed, then it would have been a conversation point for people, too, I feel like. Right. I, I don't know. People people just like here's the thing is like people don't. I feel like so many people don't actually know, right? It's like the thing is like, oh, I'm, I'm glad they went through the process because if they hadn't, what is the process? Well, I ask, but I'm like I'm saying, but you people, there will be people like, well, they didn't go through this process, they did go through this process. But you don't know what the process is. Yeah, you know what I mean. If they're putting it out there, here's the thing: I don't think on a base level, anybody's putting out secret mind control murder pills. That seems like a bridge too far for me. So if they put it out here and they say it's good to go, I'm good to go. Yeah. Because I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, I think the process, I don't know a goddamn thing about the process. No. <laughs> I don't have the time to read and learn or the desire to read and learn about the process. I've been listening to the doctor my whole life when I go there. I'm going to continue. This is, it's not that serious. I've been vaccinated now for, what, six, eight months, yeah. ten months, whatever it is. I mean, like I said, other than the feathers and all the Microsoft surfaces mm -hmm. that I've been purchasing, no side effects. I notice this when I see people who talk about like seeing negative vaccine reactions to people. Mm. They'll like tell this stuff to me, and I'm like, what about me? I'm like, I haven't... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Am I, am I not, like, an example on the other side? Everything's just fine? Like, Yeah. Well, no, because for people with a negative mindset like that, looking to confirm those biases, only the things... 
their negative count and the, the, yeah. all the millions of people who are fine mm-hmm. don't count. You know what I mean? Yeah. The take that always makes me laugh is that people are like, well, I know so-and-so that got it and they were sick as hell for two days. And yeah. they, then they look at you expectantly like that's supposed to like mean anything. It's like, yeah. well, yeah, man. Like I said, you might be sick yeah. for a day or two. Yeah. Just two days, though. Like, yeah. that's not, I've been sick with the flu for a I've been sick with the cold for longer. I've had a stomach bug for longer. Like, what? Mm. I knew somebody who got it, and they were knocked out and in bed for two days. I, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I was tired on a oh Sunday. Oh, my God. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, we're... Uh, I'll, I'll put it this way. Of all the things that I've, you know, all the discourse I've seen about everything on many sides of this discussion, I got the vaccine, and I no longer feel as concerned when I'm out in public that anything really bad is happening to me, even if I do catch it. Right? And that's mm. that's the end of it for me. That's all I need. Right? All I need is that I no longer feel like if I catch COVID, I'm going to get it in the worst possible way that someone who wasn't vaccinated would get it. And that's enough for me. That's all I need to feel more comfortable yeah. and to involve myself more in the world and to get back to normal. Mm-hmm. And if that's all it takes for other people, then that's good too. I hope so. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's move on. Uh, oh, big news from the Jeopardy front this week. One week after announce, uh, just nine days after he was tapped to succeed the leg- legendary Alex Trebek. Mike Richards, the executive, also executive, yeah, executive producer of Jeopardy, will step down uh, after ugly details surfaced about his past conduct and statements made on his eight-year-old podcast series. Um, you know who I feel bad for? Hmm. Not Mike Richards or any of the Jeopardy people, necessarily. For sure. I feel bad for Matt Amodio. You know who Matt Amodio is? No. Matt Amodio is currently the number three Jeopardy winner in terms of money all time. He is mm-hmm. currently on a 17-day winning streak for Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And nobody cares. <laughs> like, it's not a story. Like, no one... No, I feel bad for this guy. Like No, he, this is the dream. This is the dream. This is the dream. Just yeah, what are you out of your mind? He gets the money, but nobody knows his face and that he has all this money? Yeah, 100%. Shout out to this guy. What a great time to make all this money. You know, if you get to keep the money, you don't need the accolades and the cute little Entertainment Tonight lead-ins and the human interest stories. Yeah, but I feel like the only no, con- no. the only conversation about Jeopardy right now is this like Mike Richards debate and like people being ups- upset that he either left or being like, why did he get hired in the first place? Correct. That is the dream. <sighs> Good for this guy. I mean, I you feel get like the should- money. You. It- you don't need the people talking about you and and, and attaboy and you. You don't need I'd it. You're better people. off without it. You're be- I'm just saying you're better off without it, you know? Uh, in the interim, uh, while they figure out a new host, uh, Mia Bialik, formerly of the Big Bang Theory. Is that her? Uh, Blossom, too. Yeah, Blossom. Yeah, her, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And she... also deeply, deeply accomplished, like, scientist. Yeah, yeah. I think she's in, like, physics or, like, went on after Blossom and poor Big Bang Theory to go get, like... Like a deep, deep education. Why didn't they just make her the hosts? I think they probably maybe are. Yeah, maybe they know. are. She was doing it for like specials and like special event shows. Yeah. And uh, and Richard's... Well, I said when I was saying... When we talked about this... When we talked about this thing last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was saying when we were watching, this guy still, he felt like the most natural host to me. He did. And I think the biggest thing is because he doesn't feel like somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like even though Alex Trebek became a celebrity because he was Alex Trebek, it was like he was at his house. So it's uh-huh. not that serious, right? But... Yeah. Anybody who comes in, be it, you know, um, whether she becomes the one or they bring in uh, Ken Jennings or not mm-hmm. Ken Jennings, but like a LeVar Burton and Aaron Rodgers, all these people, you'd probably get used to it after a little while. But yeah. for me, I think the reason they all seem so jarring when I watched the little bits of the people that I mm-hmm. did watch was that it's just like this is distracting because it feels like a special guest episode. It feels yeah. like special guest host. You know what I mean? It doesn't uh, feel natural. Well, it's interesting. Claire McNeil from The Ringer, who broke the story that started this whole thing with Mike Richards, mm-hmm. Um, 
she did her research, some research on this. Apparently, it's not, the guests struggled. No, I'm sorry, the, the contestants struggled. Up until this uh, Amodio character, it was really uncommon for people to win more than two games in the guest host era because the delivery and, like, the questions are different for everybody and it struggled to, like, get used to it, apparently. Hmm. I, I mean, again, she she knew more about this than I would have known. She had, like, research, apparently. Interesting. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I think your best case scenario as the Jeopardy host is to just sort of step out of the way. Right, mm-hmm. you're not. You shouldn't. You're not there to like. You're not the show. Forever, for whoever becomes the host now, this is also the dream. Much yeah. like this winner that people don't really know. Um, yeah, also the dream to now you step in after somebody controversial. So like you've already had somebody take the brunt of the fire, and they're like, "Oh, geez, I'm glad we got Aaron Rodgers or whoever yeah. it might be that might have had a harder time otherwise." Uh, all right, internet news this week. Uh, infamous internet. Website OnlyFans has said that it will no longer allow sexually explicit content starting on October 1st. company said the decision was taken to comply with requests from its banking and payment providers. Uh, this is sort of the reason that OnlyFans became famous, I feel like. It is, like, I feel like people only talk about OnlyFans in the pornography concept. I don't know anyone who uses OnlyFans otherwise. Okay. Uh, I don't really, I think it's odd that they would, like, shoot themselves in the foot as their own... Business model? They don't care. Why? They don't care about the business model. You sell it, you make yeah. the money, and then it's not your problem anymore. I suppose. You know, you you can make the pro- if you can make your product or your app or whatever attractive for sale, yeah. right? Yeah. And then you sell it. You don't care about keeping it growing or keeping whatever. Once you can't, Tom didn't give a damn what happened to MySpace after yeah. he took his eighty million dollars or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. You sell your shit and you just go on to the next thing and. Who cares if they change what MySpace is or fundamentally alter or OnlyFans or whatever other app this happens to, you know what I mean? I think we saw it happen with like things like Instagram, maybe Snapchat or whatever. Once you sell it, it's not your problem anymore, so you don't care. Well, you look at MySpace and like I think there's a world where MySpace could have continued existing and changing its format to be more applicable, but it just got kind of steamrolled by sure. Facebook, right? I wonder in a year if OnlyFans like changes its entire format into something different or just gets steamrolled by a platform that sort of does what it does a little better. I think those are the two options, really. Yeah, I mean, there's a, it seems like I don't, you know, I'm not sure really like how it how it runs. It seems like there's always somebody coming up behind, though, you know? Yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. It makes sense, though, if they're dealing exclusively in like explicit material and stuff like that, that the sticking point would be banking partners. Yeah. The problem would be, like, if you're processing money and credit cards, and I, you could certainly see certain mm-hmm. banks being like, hey, we don't really know what this is about, but it seems like it's not worth it for us. Because, I mean, you know, I don't know how much money they would be turning through, like, their business or how they make mm-hmm. their money or whatever it might be. But you got to imagine, like, they're not sending enough, so much money through whichever bank that the bank's like, we can't possibly lose this. It's just much easier for a giant financial institution to be like, nah, you know what, we're not messing with you guys. You know what I mean? Uh, so also on the corporate front this week, Major League Baseball decided to end its 70-year relationship with trading card company Tops after signing a new partnership with a rival company. Loss of Major League Baseball partnership immediately scuttled a deal announced earlier this year that would have had Tops become a publicly traded company. Mm. Uh, so that's it. No more baseball cards on Tops after 70 years. Uh, I mean, I don't care. One or the other. feel bad for Tops, though. It feels like they kind of got a little... Like, uh, they were going to go public with some announcement here, and then he got the rug pulled out from under him by mm. baseball. Feels like what happened here. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, because I feel like cards are kind of on the up now. Not baseball cards. Yeah, it's true. Like, yeah, Not card trading cards. is on the up. Trading. Yeah, yeah. You don't care about, like, the content of the thing. 
Uh, no, I think that's fair. So. And also, not for nothing, out of the card companies, I think, aren't the people at the top of the profit chain as far as the card trading boom goes, right? Yeah. Like, if you're trading and buying and selling cards that Topps put out in 2002, Topps isn't seeing any money for that. That's true. Those cards are bought a long time ago from them. Uh, the company which started in 1938 is best known for baseball cards, but it's also made products for Major League Soccer, UEFA Champions League, NHL, Formula One, Star Wars, WWE, and, of course, the famous Garbage Pail Kids. Mm. It also has a confectionery division that makes classic candies such as Ring Pop, Push Pop, and Bazooka Joe Bubblegum. So there you go. Mm. Uh, all right. Uh, let's do, I mean, let's do a quick, we're done with this guy, and it's from the state. Uh, today, Governor Andrew Cuomo gave his final televised farewell speech on Monday. Tomorrow he will be replaced by former Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hockle. Uh, you know, I'm not going to, I don't really have any particular issue with Cuomo personally. Like, I've always sort of been kind of ambivalent to him. Sure. Um, that being said... This is not the best quote he's ever given on the way out the door. <laughs> you, did you see what he said? No, I don't. I'm done with this guy. Yeah, yeah. It just, it's very unlikable. <laughs> like, he's an unlikable guy. He's an unlikable guy. <laughs> he's not like a nice guy or a good guy. And he's, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I, I would read the quote, but it's just very dark and negative. It's just like very combative for a guy who's just walking out the door, yeah. right? And uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, all these goddamn liberals are the reason I can't slap waitresses' butts anymore. <laughs> Great, I've heard it before. You know what I mean? Uh, I've heard it before. Yeah, so uh, we're done with this guy, Adios, uh, Governor Cuomo. Not really going to be missed, I don't think, by most people in mm-hmm. the state. And uh, Governor Hockle, what's up? In- interesting to see who the next nebulously like nefarious character that people are upset at for reasons they can't fully define are in the state of New York. You know what's coming. <laughs> Well, I, I saw heard... some folks from Dodgeville posted about how we got to get De Blasio next. I'm like, bro, you know, I bet you couldn't, I, I bet you couldn't identify Bill De Blasio in a five person funnel lineup. Get off the internet; it's cooking your brains. It's too hot. What do you think Bill De Blasio is doing today? Celebrating? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> think he's chilling. No, he's chilling in air conditioning, <laughs> eating nice food. You know. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's get to this week's interview. Uh, a man who I personally haven't talked to in many years, but for a long time was uh, a pretty common uh, fixture around the local music scene for guys like me and Kev. And I'm so happy to see uh, the work he's done. He is the sound designer, producer, and composer for many of the music and sound effects you hear on the podcasts for RogueDialogue.com, including the second season of Windfall, which is coming out uh, as soon as we get to our uh, funding goals. They have 13 days left on their Indiegogo. We'll do all the lists for anyone who wants to get involved and help support uh, local creative narrative podcasting. Uh, with that said, let's go to our interview with Adam Raymond. I have a bad habit, Adam, of uh, remembering weird stuff that makes people thrown off that I remember. Okay. Wait, what do you got? What do you got? I'm, I'm ready for it. Okay. This is a real weird one. I don't even know if you're going to remember this or not. 
years ago when we first met each other, when we were doing the, the band thing and we were in the same circles, I invited you over to hang out at my house in South Utica. And, okay. and you brought over a DVD of season one of the Adult Swim television show, Wonder Shows In. Oh my God, yes. And <laughs> I didn't know the show at the time. I was unfamiliar yes. with what it was. Yes. And I no sold it and we did not watch it at all. I don't think we watched it. <laughs> you brought it all the way over. You're excited to show it to us. And I no sold it. And to this day, whenever I see like anything about Wonder Shows, I'm like, I feel bad that I like no sold Adam on this so many years ago. So 10 years, 20 years, down the line, Adam, I'm sorry. I no sold this television. Show. Uh, no, that's, that's okay. I, that is a very specific point in my life. Uh <laughs> <laughs> wow did not I, I was actually just thinking about that show little clips have actually been popping up in, in the last couple of years because it has kind of had all of these like uh, very like weird critical looks at america and so yeah. i think with like a lot of the things that have happened over the last couple of years it, it's really like certain things have bubbled back up to the top you know and uh, i i kind of forget about it a lot uh, but uh, I, it is okay that you know so did, uh, you know or put the kibosh on it at that point in time. Uh, and for folks who don't know, uh, you know, we go way back to early days of like playing in bands. My predominant image of Adam Ramanda is you holding a Gibson Ripper bass guitar, which we've thought about for many years. Yes, uh, but we sort of like sort of flew around in those circles, and I find it very fascinating that uh, somehow you found yourself in my sad strange podcasting world all these years later so i can't i can't well, you know what when we're both in that sad strange podcasting world uh you know together uh so it's good you know even if it is separately here um <laughs> you know just uh, just two guys who knew a bunch about uh audio stuff and i was like well let's just take that you know well, let's let's start from the beginning here, folks. Uh, joining us this week, he is the sound designer and producer and composer for the new season of the Windfall podcast. He is also a member of Rogue Dialogue. Uh, you can go to roguedialogue.com to check out all this information. Would you prefer like podcast producer, Adam Ramunda? Like, how do you prefer to be? Because uh, I have this problem every single day of my life when people ask me. Yeah, I, I think that that's kind of that uh, encompasses a lot and says uh, not enough uh, you know, most of the time. Um, for me, I, this is I actually uh, just started doing this as my full time job. I just left my part time job um, recently and have been doing um, podcast production stuff for anywhere from um, nonfiction shows or chat shows when I'm just editing out ums and uhs um, all the way up to something like Windfall, um, which is uh, my fictional podcast that sounds like uh, if you were listening to an episode of like Westworld or Game of Thrones or Battlestar Galactica or something like that, you know, big science fiction uh, movie for your ears. And, uh, and I'm, we'll dig into all the sci-fi audio stuff here because I have, um, yeah. as I've said over the years, I for many people who've been in this show, I get a lot of flack that I'm not the world's biggest sci-fi guy, but I also understand like anything else that I'm in the minority because everyone loved Game of Thrones. And I was like, I don't get it. What's the deal? But I was like, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm the jerk, uh, but, yeah. let's, but let's go all the way back. So uh, Adam, where are you born? Where were you raised? What do you call home personally? Yeah. Um, well, 
So I grew up in Herkimer, New York, so um, not too far from Utica, um, and so kind of spent a lot of time between uh, those two areas. Um, and it's funny because Herkimer, um, I, I'm actually, uh, I'm right now staying with a friend in Herkimer for a, a bit of time. And so it's weird to kind of be back uh, to the hometown without uh, really being in or my family is no longer in her. Right, right. So um, it's kind of been interesting to kind of come back to the, you know, stopping grounds. Um, but then um, I spent uh, time in um, Oneonta uh, for SUNY uh, Oneonta for college, studied music production there, um, and then spent a long time in Westchester, New York, which um, I do feel like is kind of home number two for me, um, because I spent so much time, uh, like 10 years of my life there. And I've kind of been back and forth, right? A lot of my adults, uh, the friendships that I made in adult in my adulthood kind of came from that area. So I always make this mistake because I lived briefly in Rockland County when I was doing mm. my uh, New York City thing. How far away were you from like Rockland? How far away is that when you were down there? Um, so for me, like uh, I, I, uh, I lived in New Rochelle, New York, for yeah, a long okay. time, which is basically right outside. I was able to get right into the city, um, you know, within about thirty-five minutes or so. Okay. Get right into Grand Central. Oh, um, pretty close. Yeah, I was. Been, yeah, I was in like Nyack or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. So that's like a good hour plus train ride, right? Yeah. Well, we used yeah. to take the car in because my my brother-in-law used to have the sweet car until things changed. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, so you went to, I want to pull back for a second, uh, because you do the work with your brother as well, Bob. With you, yes. You guys grew up together. Is that your only family member? Uh, no, so, so many uh, family members. I'm the eldest of uh, seven, I think. Uh, but, but, but it's between, uh, you know, my parents uh, divorced and then right. acquired new siblings through marriage over time. Yeah. Now, it's interesting because I, for years, have said that I, I'm the youngest in my family and I'm the only male. As the oldest, what kind of responsibility uh, gets thrown on you as the oldest? Uh, being of a family that is uh, uh, of a divorced nature, I was a little bit of the, like, middleman a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so, which kind of, or sometimes peacekeeper in some ways uh or trying to keep everyone in line was kind of the way that i ended up uh falling in sort of between like halfway to parent but not quite there you know yeah, i was gonna say you're almost like the the understudy for the parents in case someone gets like the role of mom tonight will be played by adam ramunda uh yeah <laughs> yeah but then i will say that uh bob also sometimes will will sometimes take that role we we now uh bounce back and forth here and there well, well, we'll come back to Bob in just a second. I want to talk, though, quickly about Oneana. So you said you went to school at SUNY Oneana. Uh, I know many friends of mine, great musicians over the years, who've spent their careers honing their craft at Oneana and enjoying cold pizza from Sal's. What is... Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, I famously remember going to Oneana as a young man to visit my friend while also seeing a brand new concert, which was a highlight of my young punk rocker days. What uh, yes. what drew you to Oneana? Was it that sort of music background that the school had? Like, what was uh, what was the goal in mind when you went to Oneana? Yeah, for me, I went. Um, I did my first year at um, Herkimer County Community College because I just really wasn't sure what I was going to do um, at all. Like, I had 
done the thing with playing in bands for a while, but it was always kind of like, that was the hobby. And so I was like, oh, can I, like, is there anything sort of viable in that um, at all anyway? So then um, what ended up happening was that I took one year at Herkimer County Community College, decided to just get gen eds out of the way while I figured things out. And then um, actually went for a tour at Oneonta because I was trying to figure out another step and then um, did the tour and saw some of the facilities and um, for their studio a, which is um, like they had a couple of different studios and now it's like they've, vastly uh improved what yeah. they had at that point i am envious of uh Oneonta students yeah. now um but th- i was really drawn to that music production aspect and sort of continuing to study music there because i was like well uh, this is what i actually care about and so i'm gonna just spend my time doing that so i it was a music industry degree that i went in for so i was going to be more focused on sort of the business aspect of that. And then um, as uh, I I started taking some of the engineering um, courses, audio engineering courses that that they offered um, as kind of a next step and ended up getting that as a minor and then have just pursued that after that point, yeah. It's a really fascinating thing too, I think when you grow up around the music world wanting to be a performer, right? Like, you know, we we come from that sort of same sort of punk rocky background of wanting to be on stage in front of people. And uh, I thought it was interesting the way that those sort of creative outlets tend to fray outward as you get older, right? Like um, I tend to just think of people now, I used to think of it as like, oh, he's a musician, he's a, he's a bass, like, now I just kind of think of people as creative types. And if you're a creative type, you can't help but want to get whatever sort of egomaniac, neurotic story inside you out some form or another, right? And that's just how it's always been. It's how I ended up with 322 episodes of this show because I'm neurotic and crazy and can't stop myself. Um, oh, yeah. But but I do think it's really interesting because you sound like you've done the thing that a lot of musicians start. You start off with the songwriting. I want to create something. I want to be in a band. And then you start to think about the craft of it. A lot of guys I knew who were musicians start being like, I don't want to be in a band. I just want to write music now. I want to be able to score something. I want to be able to write usable, accessible music for people. And I'm, I'm always fascinated by that transition from sheer, like I want to write like a rock and roll song to like, I want to understand how music creates a larger picture. Yeah, I think that that was something that I really discovered in college. And I think it came from, I was a bass player originally, and I think it came from really admiring people like Victor Wooten, who um, Victor Wooten has kind of a very like holistic song approach to um, the bass. And so there are, um, I remember like a a piece of advice that he had in like a clinic that I attended at Big Apple Music actually uh, (laughs) um, was was something to like just almost freshen up your practice routines was to like sit in front of a um, like a movie with the sound off and play just play along you know even if it's just you and your bass just play along as if you were scoring you know play to the emotion play to that and so I think I kind of got like I started putting that into my practice routine and then kind of like became hooked on doing that and that's really you know that's really clever though because you know I want to get into a little bit later on about creative writing but I've always said over the years about in terms of story writing and content I used to do better 
if I'm given some sort of peg, if you give me like the one part of a story, guy walks into a supermarket and this happens, go. Yes. That's more interesting and more accessible than like write whatever story you want. I love that idea of like, here's a scene. How would you, how would you use music to enhance this scene? Not just write any music for any scene, whatever. I love that sort of simplicity and that sort of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That sort of uh, challenge that comes with having something you have to write toward. Yeah, it's it's it helps give you sort of a guiding focus towards yeah. that, and then also brings in sort of uh, constraints that you have to like work in, uh, where you have like a goal that you're trying to hit, which is to me is like more liberating creatively somehow right having the constraints actually helps uh drive you forward well some of the best work i ever used to talk about when we were younger that i would work on was stuff where we would put hard limits on like we're gonna write a song this week whatever this song is at the end of this week that's the song it's done now we can't go back we have to finish it uh i I gotta ask you one question before i move any farther because i I forgot to ask you and i don't want to date you or you know make you feel old uh, oh no no what year what year was oniana for you when you graduated uh 2009 2009 yeah the only reason i, I asked that question is because i'm curious uh where you were even casually with like podcasts in your life had podcasts been a thing you were listening to even before that or that sort of come in way afterwards i came in way afterwards so it wasn't really until about 2000 like 13 2014 that I even started listening to any at all mm-hmm. um so it I was went more on the music production track um yeah, yeah. after school so I um spent some time in a recording studio in Massachusetts um but the time that I got into the music industry was kind of like the peak of like s- streaming hadn't really been figured out and there was just a lot of like revenue problems within oh, yeah. the music industry um and there still is you know a lot of ways today but it hadn't really been refined with like how things were working so it was like really a bad time for that so then I started going towards the route of writing music for advertising which also kind of goes towards what you were mentioning before that like a functional purpose um and then uh I think I stuck with that for a little while because I was like oh I can make money with music here right it's like there are actual like paychecks that can come from that um and then and then I kind of went back to the the band route for a while um, and just like stuck with a part-time job that I had um, for uh, a long time. And then um, in 2000, I remember it's, I mean, a lot of people say it when they listen to podcasts, but or sort of uh, podcasts as we know a lot of them today. Um, but I started listening to Serial, which was the this crime, you know, mm-hmm. hit crime podcast that I was like, whoa, you can take the story, you know, that someone has and like tell that and put music behind it and, you know, do all of these other things. And I was like, that, that kind of ignited a thing for me. Now, I'm, I'm so glad you said that because um, it's, I, I think for a lot of people, especially now where podcasts are so ubiquitous, I can't begin to discuss today how big of a deal the serial podcast felt like at the time. You know, I had been kind of, not to be like, I'm, oh, I was early on this thing. I was getting into podcasts primarily because I was a big sports guy. Sports was a really big avenue for podcasting early because I'm a big soccer guy. And there wasn't a ton of access to great 
professional soccer coverage in mainstream media at the time. Like there weren't great sports coverage um, and professional wrestling. Another thing I love that like really made its way into the podcasting world, but you're, you're totally spot on as a guy who bases his show on an interview discussion show, something like serial was the first podcast I listened to. I was like, Oh, what is this? Like, why is this mm-hmm. so different than every other Bill Simmons, Mark Marin, you know, Joe Rogan podcast where you have to like chat somebody up for now. This is like a different style of art form. I think that opened a lot of people's eyes. Right. Right. And it's just, it it kind of, you can have all of these different formats. I think it's like people started to realize that, Oh, these other formats that can be in like an audio format or, or even if it's something that's streamed or whatever, right. Um, It's these other formats are more viable and there's like other things out there to listen to other than just chat casts. Like I listened to uh, a lot of, um, I guess I listened to a few podcasts before serial. It was like, if, if you've ever heard of the, how did this get made? You know, which is, uh, which is a great, funny podcast. Listen yeah, to yeah. a lot of like Mark Marin Cause like, I mean, I, I also still to this day love just a great, interview like someone who does their research and like sits down and like you know does it uh well like can carry a conversation in a you know artful way it used to drive me nuts because you know i did a lot of like radio stuff in the day and i used to do tv stuff years and years ago for ktv and what drove me nuts even today if i have to go do a radio spot or something it's like hey man can you give me like three minutes of content and then please leave like cut down Whatever, whatever 15 minutes of prep you brought in, can you cut that down to like two lines of dialogue and then promote your show? And then we're going to go to a commercial. Like I, that always felt to me like, what am I doing here? What am I like, am I, am I doing bits? Like the best conversations I tend to have with people don't usually start until after we've gotten like the first 15 minutes of the conversation going. And right. that's sort of what attracted me to the long formness of, of this version of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think that there's there's like art in the preparation of, you know, putting together a good interview that isn't sort of a condensed, you know, micro story. So let me let me ask you where you want to start here for going forward, because I was going to say, can we talk? Should we talk about Rogue Dialogue first? Should we talk about Windfall Season 2? How, how, would, how would you like to present this first? Like, which of these is the uh, is the Russian nesting doll to the other? Yeah, I, th- I think, um, like, Windfall is a little bit of an idea. Or Rogue Dialogue kind of came together almost at the same time, right? Okay, cool. Um, uh, so for uh, what happened is, as you mentioned earlier, if, um, my kind of in this time frame of like 2014, 15, 16, um, my brother and I were starting to be like, oh, we should try to make podcasts because my brother is a very story-driven person, wants to write and tell stories, right? And then um, myself, you know, hearing all of these shows, I was like, we started listening to shows that were um, fictional podcasts like yeah, yeah. welcome to nightmail and yeah, we're yeah. alive and the bright sessions and all these other shows where we're like we have the tools to do these things you know you have the story ideas and you know characters in your mind and then um we uh i have the ability to you know the engineering and the composition side of things to like make a fully formed product here um and so my brother at the time had a thing called breadcrumbs magazine, which was almost 
almost in a way to kind of bring it back to a little bit of a piece that you mentioned before was the like the idea of um, having a like a confined version of creativity. Breadcrumbs uh, mag was this thing that, or it still is going on today. Bob um, has kind of passed it on at this point, but um, a an idea Bob had not been writing anything for a while and decided yeah. to write some short stories and then create a new story based off of the previous one that came before it, even if it was just a symbol, an idea or a sentence, whatever, just use something as a jumping off point as like, okay, you have to make something off of this other piece. Um, that went on for a while, but there were a few characters that Bob had written in those stories that um, was like, oh, we could bring those together and create a new story out of that. Yeah. So um, that actually came as the first iteration of Windfall. And so we wrote it, um, or Bob wrote the first season, 10 episodes as uh, kind of uh, by himself to kind of bring in um, all of these different characters, ideas that we had. And we kind of talked about those um, with our friend, Josh Rubino, who acts in the show um, and kind of went back and forth. And Bob really wanted some additional help kind of getting the bigger story bits out of it. Out, yeah. And and then um, one, uh, we had another Breadcrumbs contributor, Christy Donato, who's originally from Syracuse, New York, uh, who was living in New York as well, um, New York City at the time, uh, basically offered to help Bob edit the story, but sure. then en ended up bringing in all of these ideas or suggestions, um, so much so that um, ended up almost rewriting the entire first season. Um, and then Christy became a, a writer um, of the show. And then at that point, that's when... Um, we kind of realized we, we were going to do like the brothers Ramunda productions or something yeah. like this. Um, but then we realized that like Christy was putting in so much work as well. So we decided to make like a company together and do rogue dialogue, um, which is a little bit of a Ramunda Donato, but then also oh, yeah. we, uh, we, um, we, but then it also kind of tied into like, okay, we're this like indie startup that is trying to take, primarily dialogue and then you know put it out there into the world um yeah and, and it does seem like you guys uh you guys are in the middle of your funding push your crowdfunding push on indiegogo for folks who want to reach out and either support uh windfall season two uh, and for folks who are wondering why i'm not digging into the story of the podcast because i'm not trying to like break down the story aspects if you like sci-fi audio dramas if you like you know what's what's like a similarly themed fan base that you would aim people you would direct people toward the show really uh i i would say that like there are so many people who don't know anything like this so i okay. always end up using tv shows as markers for it um so if people are fans of things like game of thrones or um star wars or other shows like that or other um sort of bigger pieces of media yeah. like that where you have a large cast of characters who have um different very um personal storylines that then start to weave together as the season comes uh, together and like kind of comes together for a big like final epic ending um which which sure. tends to be a lot of these like sort of you know 
dystopian or fantasy type of shows we're we're a little bit science fiction we're a little bit fantasy but we're like really it's a it's a family drama so even people that like you know something like uh you know succession or something like that might like this as well because they're kind of they're all based on the same kind of family dramas i'm kind of glad you said that because i think a lot of times people just see like you know sci-fi or dystopian and they're like okay i know what this story is about but i i tend to think of those things as settings right i like when a story is like let's take an interpersonal drama that could be any interpersonal drama but put it in an exciting location right like i always Mm -hmm. go back to my favorite book is the stand by stephen king Mm, yeah which is ostensibly a book about you know a flu that destroys 99% of the population. But it's also kind of a story about the natural dichotomy that people either lean toward being good or evil when society falls apart, like this overall arc of finding whether you want to be a a good person or a bad person and what calls somebody to being those things is a larger part of the story than there's a flu, it's coming to get you, right? So I love the the addition of like human grounded interactions between emotions and reality in a fantastical or out there scenario, which I think sort of applies to what we're doing here. Yeah. Yeah. It's really meant to be um, kind of the setting is more of like a commentary on like what could happen to society more so than anything else. Right. Um, and, And so we, and like the way that we, you know, people play, a role in that uh, larger society. So, but I, I think that, um, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, you know, or, or right. really is, it's, it's more, yeah, it's, it's more of uh, just a place, that, a, a way, a more fantastical way to explore the same types of stories that we're exploring today. So folks, as of today, when we're recording this on August 22nd and a beautiful Sunday morning that I've woken Adam up from probably a relaxing slumber for, <laughs> uh, you can, <laughs> there are 14 days left on your Indiegogo uh, goal. So I, w- I would suggest for anyone who's interested in this, please go. For me, I went to either roguedialogue.com or what I purposely did is went and typed in Windfall Season 2 on Indiegogo, uh, in Indiegogo in Google, and it was the first thing that showed up. Obviously, yep. for our listeners, I will post all of our links on the website and all of that. But folks, please, if you're into this kind of creative uh, art, into people in the local area trying to build something with that crowdfunding approach in that aspect to support local podcasting, I would recommend going to Indiegogo.com and supporting Windfall Season 2. When do you guys plan on getting the season out? Uh, once uh, You're still 14 days away from the stretch goal. So when is the um, when are the actual plans to start filming and uh, start recording and stuff for season two yeah so we're in the process um of recording season two uh right now actually awesome. we're, we're starting to schedule all those things so we've done all of our pre-production so the way that this show is recorded is kind of out of order like a movie mm-hmm. would be is um because we're focused on certain characters and storylines and whatnot mm-hmm. and we've had to make a really big change because we recorded the first season um actually uh Christy Donato had moved back from uh, New York City back to uh, Syracuse, New York, and actually recorded the first season in Syracuse because um, Christy was like, there are a lot of young, hungry people or people who are very talented who are in the central New York area who would want to, you know, kind of be a part of an independent production like this, whereas in a place like New York, it would be a little harder. Um, So this, this, uh, we're, we're, 
instead of doing everything in person, just because of the way that everything has been going, we um, have armed and equipped our um, actors and performers with uh, recording equipment and have been working on getting them up to speed on how to record and how to, um, you know, uh, capture everything. Um, and so like we may be recording one or two people in um, my recording space, but mostly we'll be having everyone join remotely. Um, and so uh, we are starting to record that and it will take a longer time, but uh, to kind of put it together, but that's the whole point of this fundraising campaign is that um, we're looking to grow our team of the post-production side because I'm the only one who kind of worked on that. Um, I've started to train Bob a little bit on um, how to edit all of the dialogue together, um, but we are actually looking for potential other people to kind of join our team to help sound design the show and, and ideally pay them for their time. I'm not I'm not laughing at what you're saying. I'm laughing with what you're saying because I always it's the part of the show that nobody knows about the non glamorous part of the show. Like when I'm done with this recording and I'm done with all my recordings tomorrow for the rest of the show, I have to go through that three hour, whatever it is, really boring, really tedious process of crossfading all of the cuts and all my music and I would make a behind the scenes video, but nobody cares because it's boring and it's not fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> unless, unless you're uh, talking specifically to other people like me, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. right, exactly. Right, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I just have to ask, and this might not be something that as the sound design producer, composer, you're, you're directly involved in. So if I'm wrong, you can just, you know, cast me off to the sun on this one. What is the sort of casting recording process like? Are you guys looking for people that you know? Are you reaching out to people you have previous relationships? Are you open casting? How does that all work for you guys? Yeah, that that has been. Um, we did casting calls in both um, New York City and in um, Syracuse or upstate. Yeah. So we actually we have um, a lot of the members of the show are from um, Syracuse. We have a couple people from. Um, I believe one or two from Utica, one from New Hartford. Um, so we're, we're kind of all in the sort of the central New York area here. Um, and it's it's been some pre-existing like, okay, we know this person and like this person is great and they should be able to like get the opportunity to kind of like live in a character for a little bit longer. That was, um, and, and also we, we had to do a lot of convincing of certain people because we were getting a lot of like stage actors um, or yeah. people who were kind of on the like film or commercial or TV track um, and who were like scripted podcast with, what the heck is that? Um, but then at the end of like, we did our first season, we did kind of like a voiceover summer camp type of scenario yeah. we had you know uh, people coming in and out of this house that we were recording in for a week and then after the end of it they were like oh this is amazing like I don't get the opportunity to like have an arc of a character that spans over the course of you know 10 episodes that are you know 30 to 40 minutes in length um, so it was like a unique opportunity for people to kind of dig into their acting chops in a, in a new way, which was great. Um, and, and so we were, we cast, um, this second season, we were going to do completely in person again, but then the pandemic sort of 
um, screwed that up. So we did open it up and we have a couple of people who are actually have joined us, like with one person who's joined us from Virginia. Um, and then, but then we did actually have two of our cast members move, one moved to Ohio and another one is in Florida now. And so it's like, okay, we, we've had to, we kind of based on necessity almost, we had to move to this remote. So um, we love the community that we're tapping into in Syracuse, but we're also, uh, and, and Utica, and, but we're happy to kind of expand too. So um, we're just looking for talent people who know how to use their voice essentially. You know, and it's and it's such a weird thing to you know I, I I always you know reach out to people with like the podcasting it. I loved doing the in person podcast right like I love for, for right when the COVID started and we had to shut everything down was really the first time that I ever attempted to use Zoom. I'm talking for you know, four years of doing this podcast. I was like, if I can't get somebody to the house, I'm not doing it. You know what I mean? I'm not going to do an interview this week. And it took me about two weeks to just begrudgingly be like, no, this is easier. I have to do Zoom all the time now as much as it's not the same for me personally. Uh, but I was going to say, from a production standpoint, do you find that the not having people in the same room recording is easier? Is it harder? Do you find it to be more stressful on your end? Um, so we do meet over, we're trying to meet as much as possible over Zoom. Um, but I I do think that, that it's a little bit difficult because there's a, there's a point in conversation or, because you know, we're trying to capture dialogue as naturally as possible. Um, and Zoom with it's the way that it compresses people in the background, right? Um, yeah. Where it's like, oh, I can't hear your full laugh because as I'm talking or something yeah. like that. Um, so there's a little bit of a natural flow of conversation that doesn't quite come through, but it's, still it's I think is better than trying to do things where go like the Disney Pixar route or something like that where they record everybody in isolation completely and then just get like a million takes and then put that together I don't have the time uh, or you know budget to do anything like that um there they it all has its pros and cons I wish we could be back in the same room together but I'm I'm glad that we live in a time where we can well that's the, have this option, right? That is the dichotomy of modern society, right? Everything is a little bit easier and a little bit more um, user friendly and all we want to do is go back to the ways that were harder and and, and more traditional because we can't help ourselves. <laughs> uh, before we get to our lightning round questions, I just want to mention I just want to ask you quickly about something I saw on the website. This is mostly a you question. Yeah. Are you still doing like solo music with this garbage person side project? Is it still something you're doing or no? Oh, I did that for a little bit. And like, I have little bits and pieces of songs, but I, I want to be doing it more. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't had the time to do it really, especially uh, sometimes. Um, I find it hard sometimes because I've, I'm using my creativity yeah. in like this more functional way. Yeah. Sometimes I don't find myself going and sitting down and playing or writing a song yeah, I because do. I don't like burned that itch out. isn't quite there, right? Or it's like, yeah, yeah the, it's like I'm a little burned out from like staring at a computer screen editing already. Well, so, you know, what's, you know what's weird too is I I can still play guitar and I've learned to play other stuff over the years and I haven't you know I haven't written a song in many years. I could. 
but I mm-hmm. definitely feel it's, it's again, this is the self-defeating cycle of like musician, right? I haven't played in a really long time. So my chops are bad. And because my chops are bad, I'm, I'm less inclined that I want to play. So I kind of need to like fight through that. It's like, um, it's like when you're trying to grow your hair out, it looks nice when it's short, it looks nice when it's long, but that crummy period in the middle where you got to like suffer through it to get there. That's the hard part. And that's where I yes. am with music right now. I'm in the weird middle haircut part. Uh, we yeah. uh, we want to we thank Adam for spending time with us here today. You can follow Adam at Adam Raymunda on Twitter. I will link all of the other, uh, I'll, I'll get all the Twitter and stuff links from you after we're done. Uh, Adam, before I let you go though, do you have time for our lightning round questions? Yes, indeed. Let's do it. All right, Adam, these are the same five or six questions we ask everybody who's been on the show for the last six years. Uh, Adam, when you wake up in the morning, how do you take your coffee? Oh, I am uh, drinking a cup of uh, Utica Coffee Roasters coffee, black uh, right now, Adirondack blend. It's so great. So you're a black coffee guy. I asked this question to everyone who says black coffee. Were you always a black coffee guy or did you have to work your way there? I worked my way there for sure. <laughs> Same thing with, uh, you know, drinking uh, beer or other <laughs> liquors. Uh, there's a level of uh, you need to wean yourself there in some ways, you know, it's same thing. I, same thing with tea as well. I'm kind of like, I don't take anything in anything now. I love the alcohol example because that's my favorite old man yells at clouds thing is when I was a kid, if I had to drink alcohol, I had to sit through the terrible flavor of whiskey and beer. And I had to be like, this is bad. There was no flavored seltzer that tastes like fruit punch. We didn't have that. I guess Zima was the first thing that showed up in like, oh God, Zima. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Adam, what was your first automobile? Your first automobile was a used Dodge Intrepid. Yes. uh, that I had that unfortunately, um, this is embarrassing. I got worse driver in high school because of this. I was, uh, 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 that was my only, what do you call those things in the yearbook? I don't remember. Superlative. Superlative. Yes. It was my only superlative was worst driver. Uh, and because <laughs> I drove up a hill and then a street sweeper was coming, I was blinded by the sun and I just clipped the edge of it, but it destroyed that car. Uh, I won't spare, I'll spare the audience my famous car crash stories for another time. Uh, but I'll, I will say that in high school, I also won one superlative. Ooh. I got, I got class flirt. I mean, now to be fair, my girlfriend went to a different school and was mad about this. So I had to go back and turn down the award. I had to walk in and I said, Hey, I can't take this award. I'm sorry. My girlfriend's really upset. And this is how I found out. And I don't know if this is true or not. This is how I found out that superlatives might be nonsense because the lady who's running the yearbook says to me, oh, well, I'm sorry, do you want a different one? And I go, what do you mean? She's like, uh, she's like, oh yeah, we'll just give you a different superlative. I was like, like what? What do you mean? What do you mean? And that's what I said. I was like, what? Like, what? And she's like, you can, be, you can be most handsome. I'm like, that's a lie. People are going to know that's not true. They're going to know that nobody voted for that, man. So... Uh, so no, I, I don't know. Maybe uh, class four kind of feels a little bit like, you know, low key already most handsome as it is, yeah. you know, and my, I, I would have believed it. I would have believed it. I'll my good friend, my good friend, Mike Kupiak was the class was most handsome and he is, you'd look at him and go, oh yeah, that guy's handsome. Uh, you may or may not have taken your Dodge Intrepid to go see it, but what was your first live music event? Ooh, I think the first what I would consider my first real live music event was 
Blink-182 and Green Day at SPAC, uh, and I believe Saves the Day opened, and it was... Uh, it was a big day out too, I think, right? Was they, they had a, there was a sort of mini festival that was happening on the grounds. That just makes me, it makes my heart patter because that's a very particular lineup and a very particular show. I'm very glad you said that. Uh, if you could have dinner with any person living or dead, who is not your relative, who would it be and why? I think there are a couple of people that come to mind. Um, one that comes to mind immediately here is a guy named Darren Korb, who is a composer um, for a series of games who uh, called uh, there's Hades or Bastion oh, yeah. or uh, I haven't played Hades yet, but I know all my video game people are like, it's the greatest thing that's ever existed. It's definitely one of the best games I've played in a long time. He He's kind of he's an incredible sort of very all around guy. He is the was the composer and sound designer and recorded everything. But then in uh, in their earlier games, um, but in these later ones, he's even like voice acted in it and does all the direction, casting, and all this type of stuff. And uh, just seems like a guy that I could have an effortless conversation with. All right, uh, I'm going to set up a scenario here. For, so bear with me for just a moment, okay? You. Adam Ramunda, DJ Adam Ramunda, uh, are the are the are <laughs> deep the cut world, right there? Yeah. Are the World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion of the world? You are walking through the ramp. You're holding the belt above your head. The crowd is chanting your name. What song is playing in the background as you make your way to the squared circle? Ooh, oh my God, that is such a good question. Oh, what song is playing there? Uh, I want to go with something like unreasonably epic and that like probably doesn't match my demeanor, but I almost want to go with like, uh, like Darth Vader's theme from (laughs) Star Wars or something. Just right. Just like I picture my, uh, my persona as not necessarily the the undertaker or something like that or a cane but maybe something <laughs> ridiculous and i think maybe matches my facial hair now some like mustache twirly uh you know <laughs> theme. Uh, professional wrestler randy orton currently has your facial hair and throwing ah, uh, <laughs> the viper uh, all right so uh give me one book album movie or television show you are currently reading listening to or watching one book album movie or show you are currently reading listening to or watching oh um i am watching uh ted lasso right now hey, I, all right. which is just such a great show I'm, i mean i take it that maybe you've watched it yeah, yeah. Uh, well here's or, the thing or... I, i've talked about this before i am a Big time soccer fan. I've been yeah. watching Liverpool Soccer Club for, uh, or sorry, Liverpool Football Club, pardon me, uh, since 2007 when I started picking it up in, in Utica right before I was going back to college. And when Ted Lasso came out, not yeah. just the, not the commercials from eight years ago, but when the show came out, yes, I looked at it and I said, okay, it's a comedy about the English Premier League and it's got, it's based on this thing that I like. It's almost too much for me. I don't want to be a part of it. I, I don't yeah. trust it. I feel like they're going to ruin this thing. And begrudgingly, I think it took me like three episodes of the first 
season where I was like, no, okay, this is this is good. And, and I just, you know, the world is really cynical and shitty at the moment. And I think that yeah. people really appreciate that earnest blast of raw emotion that that show really brings on. It's, it's delightful. It's charming. Yeah, I love how almost every joke in the show is a way to lift somebody up rather than to cut anybody down, which is, yeah. it's just like so different from a lot of comedy out there. Um, and so it's like very refreshing for that piece. But also also takes in mind uh like why it's like relentless positivity is sort of a problem sometimes too it's which is so great well you know and i think too uh you know things happen so i like when a show organically comes together i think what's interesting about ted lasso is it is like the most the the show most recently that I feel like did get word of mouth. That show was out for a while. It just sort of happened that everywhere you'd go, people were like, "Hey, did you happen to watch this?" And I can't really think of another show. Maybe the first season of Stranger Things, where it just sort of like people were like, "Are you watching this thing?" It's kind of I don't know if they're promoting it, but you're watching this thing, right? And now the second season, I can't believe how big it is. Uh, all right, Adam, a last question for you today. Uh, besides podcasting, music, uh, creating uh, content, science fiction, video games. Give me one more thing that you, Adam Raymonda, are passionate about. Well, I feel like uh, you are drinking out of a Twin Peaks mug. Is that accurate? Is that Yes, a- I am indeed drinking out of a Twin Peaks mug. Uh, big Twin Peaks guy. Big Twin Peaks guy. I am also a big Twin Peaks guy. Uh, I actually have a dictaphone tattooed on my arm that has the like uh, pattern from the Black Lodge. I'm a sucker for any like Twin Peaks stuff. Um, Matter of fact, are you a video games guy? You said Um, some and not as much in the last few years, but so I'm not either. But recently I played a video game that was free on PlayStation Network a couple months ago. It is called Control. You're familiar with this game? No. It's got so much like Twin Peaks energy that I can't mm. stop. I'm obsessed with the Twin Peaks energy it gives. It's not like Twin Peaks. There is some stuff though that you're like, this guy's watched all the David Lynch movies. I can tell that whoever made this game loves like Mulholland Drive. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I love it. Uh, Adam, just before we let you go, where can people get a hold of you if I haven't already mentioned it? Where can people reach out to, uh, to support the show and support you guys? Yeah, you can follow um, sort of at Windfall Podcast on any of the platforms there. We've been talking about, we've been doing casting announcements. We've been talking about our um, fundraising campaign. We're talking about um, season two. And we've got a couple of things that we had um, exclusively to our Patreon that we are sort of starting to release out on our feed. Um, So because we're preparing for the second season, now was a great time to go listen to it. Um, you can find uh, Rogue Dialogue makes two different shows. Uh, one called Windfall that you can find. It's Little Yellow Wolf that comes up as, as the logo. Um, or the other one that we make is called Forgive Me, which actually takes place in upstate New York. It follows a little uh, progressive uh progressive in mind, Catholic priest coming into a small town in upstate New York and hearing the confessions of the uh, parishioners. And uh, it's fun and funny. And so you can follow those, um, Windfall or Forgive Me, anywhere on any of the podcast players. Uh, Adam, I'm always 
proud to see people I know uh, holding the torch for podcasting as a platform. And I'm very happy to see the work that you guys are doing. And I hope that we can help you guys out with getting some support going for Windfall Season 2. Thanks for spending time with us here on a lovely Sunday morning. Go enjoy the rest of your day. Yes, you too. Thank you so much, Sam. It was a pleasure catching up with you. Always a pleasure, but we'll have you on some other time soon once this is all good to go. I definitely called him DJ Adam Ramondo once with no context. I'm not going to explain it here. Or it's, true. it's true. It's true. It's uh, true. <laughs> always one of the nicest guys. Always nice. one. Him and his brother. His brother Bobby too great too. Both always the kindest dudes. Always nice to see when somebody like that hasn't changed. You know what I mean? Well, Bob, you know, really uh, is the one who's doing all the creative writing aspect on this mm-hmm. stuff. And it's like nice to see them working together still. It's got to be cool for yeah. them to be able to do it as brothers. You know, yeah. for, for a guy like me who has uh, always been very close with my own brother, but my brother's not, you know, an arts and music guy. Uh-huh. It's just not one of the one of the millions of things we have in common. It's always yeah. cool for me to see guys who are brothers like this who are like, can converge passions so directly. It's got to be cool for them. Uh, yeah, super exciting uh, for them. Go support all them and their podcasts. Go to roguedialogue.com or uh, go to Windfall Season 2 Indiegogo page to support them directly. There are 13 days left on their push to get the second season funded. Uh, all right, let's get into history lessons. Uh, let's go all the way back to 1922. I'm going to tell you a story. On April 15, 1920, a paymaster for a shoe company in South Braintree, Massachusetts, was shot and killed along with his guard. The murderers, who were described as two Italian men, escaped with more than $15,000 cash after going to a garage to claim a car that police said was connected to the crime. Sacco and Vanzetti were arrested and charged with the crime of murder. (laughs) Although both men carried guns and made false statements upon their arrest, neither had a previous criminal conviction. Uh, on July 14, 1921, they were convicted anyway and sentenced to die. Uh, anti-radical sentiment was really running high in America at this time, and the trial of the Italian anarchists Sacco and Vanzetti was regarded as many by an unlawful sensationalism. Uh, authorities had failed to come up with any evidence of the stolen money, and much of the evidence presented against them was later discredited. Sporadic protests were held in Massachusetts and around the world, especially after uh, Celestino Madeiros. Who was, under, uh, who was under sentence for murder, confessed in 1925 that he had participated in the crime. Uh, state Supreme Court refused to upset the verdict, however, and Massachusetts Governor Alvin Fuller denied the men clemency. In the days leading up to the execution, protests were held in cities around the world, and bombs were set off in New York City and Philadelphia. Uh, despite these demonstrations, Sacco and Vanzetti were electrocuted on August 23rd until dead. Uh, in 1961, a test of Sacco's gun using modern forensic techniques uh, apparently proved it was the gun that killed the guard, though little evidence has been found to substantiate Vanzetti's guilt. In 1977, uh, Massachusetts Governor Michael Dukakis issued a proclamation vindicating Sacco and Vanzetti, stating that they had been treated unjustly and that no stigma should be associated with their name. Mm. Uh, if this was an internet video, I would put up the clip from The Sopranos, where uh, Silvio says it's anti-Italian discrimination. Uh, yeah, Sacco and Vanzetti. See? They were always coming after the Italians. They don't. They didn't like us. 
People still don't like the Italians, do they? Are we popular? We're, we're, we're popular now, right? Did you want to jump back on that Governor Cuomo segment? <laughs> <laughs> discrimination. Um, yeah. Sacco and Vanzetti is like... Shirking. Sacco and Vanzetti is one of those things I remember hearing about as mm. a kid because I had, like, Italian family members. Like, you'd hear that once in a while as, like, a joke. <laughs> Remember what happened to Sacco and Vanzetti? It's like, I don't. Do you? Do you? I don't so know. one of those things like, tell me about the process. No, please, tell, tell me, me about the FDA's process. <laughs> Do you know what happened to Sacco and Vanzetti? <laughs> Uncle Carmine? <laughs> uh, all right, on this day, 1948. Uh, although gambling on a sport you play or coach is now considered unacceptable in nearly every, uh, every level of sport, in 1940, uh, up until 1948, it was relatively common among those connected with baseball in the early 20th century. This changed after the the Chicago White Sox purposely lost the World Series in 1919 for a payoff from gambler Arnold Rothstein. It was after this that Kenshaw Mountain Landis, a former federal judge, was f- hired as Major League Baseball's first commissioner to crack down on corruption. One of the first things he did in 1920 was to ban the eight White Sox players found to be involved in the World Series betting scandal for life. Uh, Major League Baseball now states uh, that a player faces a ban of one year for betting on any baseball game and a lifetime ban for betting on his own team. In addition, signs posted prominently in every clubhouse remind players that gambling is not permitted. (laughs) Although at first he only bet on horse races and football games, allegations surfaced as early as 1989 that Reds coach Pete Rose was not only betting on baseball, but on his own team. Major League Baseball hired Washington lawyer John Dowd to head the investigation. Dowd compiled hundreds of hours of testimony that detailed Pete Rose's history of gambling on baseball while serving as the manager of the Cincinnati Reds, including betting on his own team. Although Pete Rose continued to proclaim his innocence, he was eventually persuaded to accept a settlement that included a lifetime ban from the sport. That being said, they used that settlement to be like, this is an admission of his guilt and he'll never make the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. Uh, In 2004, after years of repeated denials, Pete Rose published a book, My Prison Without Bars, it's quite a dramatic title, in which he finally confessed to gambling on the Reds, although he added he had always bet on the Reds to win, which is hilarious. Uh, Because of the lifetime ban, Rose cannot work in Major League Baseball, and despite his stellar playing career, he is not eligible for the Hall of Fame. That happened on this day, 1989. So there you go, Pete Rose. Uh, I used to argue that, like, Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame, Mm -hmm. because I don't really believe that like it matters if you're like a good guy or a piece of shit just Mm. like he's he's the leading hits leader in baseball history sure but then when you go to the hall of fame his name's all over it it's not like he's not it's not like they ignore pete rose or block him out he's just not in the hall of fame proper he's not in the one room the one room one plaque is all over there but it's not like we forgot about no it's like this cancer culture bullshit it's like, okay, he can't have the plaque, but he's still out here. He's not dead. We didn't kill him. We didn't blot his name out from history. We just said, hey, buddy, you were doing a real scummy thing. We're not going to put you in the special room. Matter of fact, is it almost, not better for his career, is it, is no. it, no, that he's got this, he's the one guy who's not in, like the. That's a, that's like a, that's a 9.37 a.m. when the show ends at 10, sports talk. Okay, I'm just going to strong. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Up next, is it actually, is it actually better? Good? Does it actually give him more, like, does it make his early albums more legit that he's not in the Hall of Fame? Well, no. I mean, I used to make this argument about the Red Sox. They're, like, the worst team of all time, and then they won the World Series, and I was like, well, they're just a team who won one title in 100 years. Who cares? They still stink. Right? You can always make a sports yeah, yeah. argument for something. So. For sure. Uh, all right. Let's go back. We're going to do our time warp this uh, year. 
I've got to remember if we did 2001 already recently. Because mm. I don't remember if we talked about the number one movie in America this week. Well, it was probably a different week. I don't know that it was. Uh, August. It 20- must have been, because if you do this week in history, it had to be a different week. Maybe this we movie was... We did it on a different show. I wonder how long ago I did it. Because I feel like we talked about the number one movie in America on this day, 2001, which is American Pie 2. I think it was because we watched it randomly. Did we watch it? It was randomly? like it was like on TV after a sporting event, and we ended up watching like part of it or something. Yeah. I think we talked about it on the show then. Okay, well, on we this... talked about it at length pretty recently. <laughs> but... On this day, uh, August twenty third, two thousand one, the number one movie in America was American mm. Pie two, grossed over a hundred and forty five million dollars off a budget of thirty million dollars, making it the highest grossing film in the franchise with a worldwide total of just under two hundred and eighty eight million dollars. Film follows the sexual exploits of five friends, Jim, Kevin, Stifler, Oz, and Finch, and their attempts to have the greatest summer party ever at a summer beach house in Michigan. Uh, this movie holds an approval rating of 52% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I feel like is kind of low. Mm. Uh, website consensus says, Being a sequel, American Pie 2 doesn't retain the freshness of the original, nor is it as funny. Mm-hmm. However, Roger Ebert gave this movie three out of four stars. Uh, him and Robert both gave the film two thumbs up, and Robert says that it's more laughs than the original. Kev, where's your? Where do you lie here? One or two? What's the better American Pie film? Three. American Pie. American, American Wedding. Wedding. <laughs> American Wedding. Yeah, yeah. American Wedding. Uh, I thought American Pie two when we watched it was pretty funny. It's still pretty funny. I it's it's like with like with a lot of things like that. It's tough to tell if you're laughing at like the scene or joke or whatever as constructed or if you're laughing in a like I remember laughing at this when I was like 17 at the movies you know I, yeah, like yeah. you can't it's not with like fresh eyes you know what I mean I don't know what I'm laughing at when I laugh at it I'm just gonna throw you folks real quick some of the the high hitting names that are on this American Pie 2 soundtrack yeah which that's what we talked about after we gr- watched it we put them all on the playlist that week yeah. a bunch of American Pie 2 songs grossly underrated Blink-182 Green Day American Hi-Fi uh, Alien Ant Farm Phoenix TX Sum 41 mm-hmm. Three Doors Down when that still meant something Oleander when that still meant something mm. uh, <laughs> no <laughs> no not really I think Oleander only meant something to you for one uh, CD cycle. Yeah, come on. One, one DJ Adam Ramon to CD cycle. It's uh, true, the Volo saga. All right. Uh, so, yeah, American Pie 2. I kind of, you know what it is? I think when we put when I put it on, it was on, like, the, the Peacock streaming mm-hmm. things. It, I kind of was like, this is going to suck. It's going to be terrible. It's not going to hold. I was surprised that I didn't dislike it as much as I expected, maybe. That I had under expectations. Why did you expect to not like it? Because I assumed it would just be like, I don't know, dick jokes and sex jokes. It is. I didn't think that would hit for me at 35 the way it hit at 18. You know what I mean? Or whatever. Or, you know what I'm saying? Sure. I mean, it's still pretty funny. You know who's funny? Sean William Scott. Why didn't he do more stuff? That's why the third one was the best because it actually shows, <laughs> American Wedding actually shows character development for Steve Stifler. He's, his character development is central to the whole film. Uh, so after going home watching uh, the hilarious American Pie 2 you could have put on the number one song in America on the radio in your car, and that is Falling by Alicia Keys, the debut single from American singer-songwriter Alicia Keys, the lead single from her debut album, Songs in A Minor. Mm-hmm. Uh, written and produced by Keys, Falling is generally considered to be her signature song. Uh, it attained global success, reaching number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and the top ten in several countries. Received numerous certifications around the world, one of the, one of the best-selling singles of 2001. Mm. Uh, it was named one of the 29 most successful songs of the 2000s. Uh, it won three Grammy Awards, including Song of the Year, Best R&B Song, Best Female R&B Vocal Performance. 
Uh, Keys herself has sold over 30 million albums worldwide. Mm-hmm. I thought this was really interesting, too. Um, she has attained eight number one singles over her career mm-hmm. and set a Guinness World Record in the year 2008 when she became the first artist to replace herself at the number one spot, when she mm-hmm. replaced the song No One with the song Like You'll Never See Me Again, first artist to ever go back-to-back. I'm surprised by that. Yeah, maybe. I'm surprised that like Michael Jackson or the Beatles or whoever yeah. the hell else didn't do it before. We wonder if the song release cycle was a little longer back then. Like you were waiting a little longer between singles to stretch out albums back then, maybe. 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 I don't know. That's just a guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I feel like Alicia Keys, when this album came out, she was like a made woman immediately. People were like, yep, yeah. she's going to be here for a long time. There's no mm-hmm. question. Like immediate superstar. Because from a, and I think I think a lot of people thought that even if they maybe didn't know why, but I think from a musician's perspective, it's just a, it, there's just a difference. Yeah. There's a difference in the the musicianship and the skill level, you know, and her incredible piano playing ability. Mm-hmm. All that stuff was readily apparent right from the beginning, and she came out. You know, you look at the time when this came out. A lot of people were making stuff like this, and it's not a slight on you know any of the other artists, but like. None of them were coming out and playing concerto-level piano pieces yeah. and writing their own piano and playing and singing. Like, it was just instantly like, oh, this is, like, a deep, deep, deep talent here. We're just crapping on Vanessa Carlton here and all her, all her piano playing skills in that one track. Uh, I mean, <laughs> that song was written by Stephen Jenkins from Third Eye Blind, so, uh, you know. Uh, so this song, Fallen, uh, the song No One, and the song Empire State of Mind are some of the highest best-selling singles of all time. Mm-hmm. If you had to pick one of those three, which one are you taking to the bank with you? Of those three? Yeah. Uh, easily fallen. But, um, mm. yeah, New York State of Mind has become too co-opted at large by the public. Yeah. Like, I get it. It's cool. It's amazing mm. what they yeah. did. It's crazy that she stole Jay-Z's song from him on his album. Yeah. Uh, no one is just, like, a little annoying. I remember when it was out, it's cool, but it's not really for me. My yeah. favorite Alicia Keys song is uh, the song If I Ain't Got You. It was the second mm-hmm. single off this album that Fallen was yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. But she does a great, great job in that song. Glad to see that she's still like around too, right? Mm-hmm. She still sort of makes herself available to Probably be around right. and do stuff. Yeah, hundred yeah, uh, percent. All right, and then the number one book in America. You come home, read the number one book in America, Suzanne's Diary for Nicholas by James Patterson. What is this? Uh, Two thousand one novel by James Patterson that argues for the importance of balance within one's life. Uh, this was Patterson's attempt to write a romance novel. He had never written one before. Uh, he used some of his personal experiences with Heartbreak to write the novel. Uh, I've never read a James Patterson novel. Not mm. once in my life. I read a couple of them. What are your thoughts? I mean, I read him back when he was, like, writing his books. Yeah. Like, writing, like, mystery books. And before he started doing this thing, I'm going to crank out 15 books a year, and they're all going to be James Patterson with actual yeah. author. Like, book in the style of James Patterson. Mm. Um, the ones that I read were great. The ones that, if you go back and you read, like, the Alex Cross series, yeah. you read Along Came a Spider, Cat and Mouse, Kiss the Girls, um, they're great and they're a lot of fun, but they're, I mean, they're just, they're popcorn. They're, yeah. They're like beach reads. They're vacation reads. Like, you'll burn through it. It'll be fun. You'll have suspense at the end of chapters. You'll be surprised by some of the scenes and the mystery, but, like, you know, don't get it, don't get it twisted for being something that's not. Like, far be it for me to, to rag at anybody, because I've never finished anything I've started writing on a creative level in this way, but, like, mm-hmm. I feel like it's a, it's a weird pull to be like, I've spent my entire life doing mystery thrillers, my zag is gonna be romance? Right? Like, I feel like There's that's... There's money in it. Yeah, I guess it's There's true. There's money in it. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's so much money in it, and it's... 
it's like you probably easier to write. Like I kind of look because I think about Stephen King, right? Like Stephen King gets kind of pigeonholed for being the horror guy, and he sort of zags with like fantasy. He's like, I'm gonna start doing some fantasy stuff. Sure. But that doesn't seem like a totally outrageous move from a guy who used to write horror. Mm. To go from horror to fantasy seems like less of a jump mm. than Alex Cross mystery thriller to the the romantic diary of Suzanne for Nicholas, right? Like yeah, I just I don't know. It, yeah. But good for him for making money, I suppose. I, I One of these days I'll read it. If I had to read one James Patterson book, I guess I'd just read the first Alex Cross book or whatever, right? I think you would want to read A Long Game of Spider. Long Game of Spider, yeah. The first one you would yeah. want to read, yeah. All right, uh, let's do some quick stuff before we head out here. Kev, there is a new Girl Scout cookie flavor this year. Have you seen the new Girl Scout cookie flavor? It looks kind of good. Uh, no, what is it? All right, the new Girl Scout cookies are called... Adventurefuls. It is a brownie-inspired cookie with caramel-flavored cream and a hint of sea salt. Mm. So a caramel brownie sea salt style cookie. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I feel yeah. There's that's what it looks like. It looks pretty good. Mm. Um, I mean, I like a Girl Scout cookie, despite you know you're paying for the name. <laughs> like they're expensive. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. But you're also supporting the Girl Scouts any better. But uh, yeah, I feel like they should be updating their cookies more often. Like keep some of the hitters, but rotate something new in. You know what I'm I saying? Think they do, and just nobody cares because everybody just buys the ones they like. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, I think they've got like flavor of the year, flavor of like the trendy kind of stuff. But mm. at the end of the day, people just want what they want. They want thin mints. Uh, also, on the food side of things, uh, <laughs> the Buffalo Bills released Bills Mafia tailgate sauce mm. in three varieties this week to benefit the Buffalo Children's Hospital. Now, mind you, if you want to benefit the Children's Hospital and buy the sauce, cool. I'm here for it. Mm. But I have some questions for you, Kev. The sauces, there's a picture of the sauces. They come in three flavors. Mm-hmm. Mild, hot, barbecue. That's all it says. What's a tailgate sauce? Is it just hot sauce? It's, yeah, it's just sauce. What do you mean? What's what doesn't say what kind of sauce it is. Like it What what would what kind of sauce would you expect it? What would you expect it to say that you're not seeing on here? I don't know. Some kind of flavoring. Like I understand the barbecue, and I understand hot right right what's the mild tailgate sauce what is it it's hot but less if you understand hot how do you not understand it's just various sauce it feels very vague i'd like to know more about what What the sauce sauce tastes like well you got to taste the sauce sauce. i mean (laughs) i don't like it if you go if you go to the store and you see something says barbecue sauce on the shelf i know what barbecue tastes like but it, it, could, it could be a million different kinds of barbecue sauce. Yeah, but I know what the, I know the vein of what barbecue sauce so- is. This Chick Fil A sauce? Is this honey mustard? Is it barbecue? What is it? I got I got to have something. You know what the hot is, <laughs> but you can't wrap your head around the mild. Hot sauce is hot sauce. I would mild assume. sauce is less hot sauce. So nothing. Less so hot. <laughs> probably a little sweeter. Terrible. Uh, support the. What, what kind of sauce is Chick Fil A sauce? It's a mix between honey mustard and barbecue. Mm. Tell me what that... Just put it on the thing somewhere. Tell me what it is. Uh, All right. And last but not least, uh, guys, it's back opening up this week. Spirit Halloween will be opening up in the Mohawk Valley so you can get ready for Halloween. It's only a few months away. Kevin, have you thought about potential Halloween costumes? No. (laughs) No. I have not. I uh, I never think about Halloween. And I like Halloween, but no, the hell I have not. It's a million <laughs> degrees and it's August. <laughs> We're racing towards the end. Well, no, here's the thing. Every time Halloween comes around, mm. I think after Halloween's over, like, that's a good costume. I'll do that next year. And then I forget about it. And then it's a week before Halloween, and I haven't thought of anything. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, ah, next year I'll think of a better costume. I'll think of something more creative, and I never do. Right. That's the cycle of Halloween. 
Mm. So now that it's open, maybe I'll swing in there and start getting an early look at what's out there. Mm. Try and peep the scene. I see. Last year I bought that good pumpkin mask that made my face look all creepy. I still got that floating around. I'm hoping for something along those lines. Something a little spooky. There you go. I don't know. I like Halloween, but as I get older, I don't want to... Finding costumes is tough because I have glasses. (laughs) You Mm. know what I mean? I need to go get contacts, I think. You don't have contacts anymore? I mean, I see that you wear your glasses I, yeah. every day, but... I used to get headaches from wearing the contacts for more than, fair. like, five, six hours a day. Were they just the wrong prescription, probably? Oh, probably. Oh, okay. Probably years of me just being cheap and... Contacts are expensive, no joke, for, for folks sure. out there. Don't for sure, mean, for sure. Yeah. Uh, all right, so that's it. Uh, that's all I got for us this week. Uh, do I have a mailbag question? I don't think I do. And I didn't send you the Spotify playlist, even though I made it. Mm. So I will just... Um, I'll just share two of the tracks that I have for this week. Uh, on Spotify, and we'll call it a day. Uh, the first one is the new record from Def Haven. Def Heaven. Def Haven? I always pronounce it. I believe it's Heaven. Def Heaven. Uh, I like it because unlike the rest of this stuff, it isn't so crushingly depressing and dark and ambient that it brings me down. It's actually kind of light and interesting. Mm. A little bit of a change for them. And then uh, Death Row East off the new Nas album. Nas mm. is back, baby. I think he was around here recently. So okay. shout out to Nas. And that's it. That's what I got for you guys for this week. Uh, all right, that's it. You can, uh, again, go to the Windfall Season 2 Indiegogo, support them. There are 13 days left by the time you hear this to support uh, getting their second season on the air. You can follow Kevin at underscore Kevin Sullivan. You can follow me at SF Doom, or you can follow the show at Uticast. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud, Spotify. We're taking over the website. I can keep it tight. Woodstock lives, the tape machines are rolling, and we are desperately out of time. We will see you next week for another episode of the Unicast. Uh, take care there, folks. Be safe out there. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your week.